welcome back to Irish on Tap, a podcast about your Notre Dame fighting Irish. Today, I'm joined by my co-hosts Brian Mishler and Ethan Wiles. We're going to break down a little bit of the college football news over the last week. A lot happened this weekend. Obviously, we know our Notre Dame Fighting Irish are still in quarantine. We do have some good news on the recruiting trail. But like we said, it's, you know, just because we're not playing doesn't mean the rest of college football stops. It was a crazy week. But let's check in with Brian because he does have some big recruiting news to get us started off with. Yeah, I'm going well. The path to the college football playoff got a little bit easier. As of today, I think it was about like two hours ago, the Irish got some good news about top 100 wide receiver, four-star wide receiver, Dion Colsey. He decommitted from the Irish, I want to say about two, maybe three months ago. And I mean, I was under the impression that he was kind of just done because it's rare to get a recommitment from a guy who decommits. But, I mean, he's recommitted to the Irish, and that's one of their best best guys in the 2021 class that is starting to look pretty loaded. I mean, you got two stud offensive linemen in Blake Fisher and Rocco Spindler. Then you got Tyler Buckner that we all know is going to be a stud. The best QB Brian Kelly has gotten a commitment from in a while. Deion Colsey right there. He's a 6'4", 195-pound wide out. He's that big body receiver that Notre Dame has had success with in the past. And he's actually probably a little bit faster than Notre Dame's had in the past. So I mean, he's going to be a complete stud. And then you also have another fringe one top 100 wide receiver in Lorenzo Styles. So I mean, that's a loaded wide receiver class that they're going to get some PT next year immediately, just like Jordan Johnson this year. And I mean, that's like a really, really, really good trio wide receiving core for the future and the Irish having said that they did receive a decommitment from four-star cornerback Philip Riley I want to say it was over the weekend and at all signs pointing him to um, um, commit to USC so that's a bit of a bummer Notre Dame has been pretty solid at recruiting good defensive backs in the last couple years so that's not a huge Huge decommitment, and I mean, I would say Deion Colsey's recommitment definitely is more of a net game if you put the two together. So, I mean, Notre Dame's really starting to make some traction on the recruiting trail, especially with wide receivers and running backs. I mean, this guy's from Georgia, so Notre Dame literally dipped down into the SEC country and just swiped a stud wide out from the SEC. Five years ago, Notre Dame doesn't even come close to doing that. So that's just just talks about how much Brian Kelly has revamped the culture of this program. Guys want to play for him, and they're starting to get legit NFL talent, not just in the trenches, but all over the field, and it's very exciting. Yeah, and like you said, man, just being able to continue to stack and attack in the recruiting trail, they weren't doing that type of recruiting. Like you said, in Georgia, that's SEC country. Usually those players are going to Georgia, Bama, Auburn, or LSU, one of those like four schools. Notre Dame has now gotten the ability to be able to go into, you know, other hot spots for certain schools and be able to recruit heavily in those areas. And then too, I love that you brought up, you know, the two big men up front. I think Rocco Spindler and Blake Fisher are, are obviously towards the top of that class. And then to a guy like Tyler Buechner, I think that's probably the most hype that a quarterback has had coming into Notre Dame in a very long time, like you said. But let's check in with Ethan. We'll get him started and let's get moving on this episode. Yeah, it's good to be back on. Obviously, it's tough that we didn't get to see a game against Wake Forest on Saturday. Now we get two weeks off to prepare for Florida State, a game that I think should be a cakewalk. But 
on the topic of recruiting, I want to bring up Blake Fisher out of uh, Avon. I have a few friends that are down in that area, family friends, family itself that are down there. And they talk about this kid like he is the best in the country. And it seems like every Friday, this kid's got a new highlight tape of him doing the, the Michael or taking him to the bus. Like, I think that was last Friday's clip. But yeah, he is just a stud. The offensive line is just going to continue to grow and develop into what it has been over the last couple of years. And to Brandon's point, Tyler Buchner, I mean, he's just going to be passing thrown from Ian Book down to him, down from Pine to Clark to him. So four studs in the quarterback room. Obviously, it'll be eliminated at three once Book leaves this season. But the depth at the different positions in this team will carry this team to several college football playoff appearances over the next couple of years. Yeah, and I love the optimism. I saw a clip, and it, and it was attached to a tweet. I apologize because I do not remember who's, who tweeted this out, but it was a clip of your guy, Brock Purdy, uh, against TCU this weekend. This man was getting sacked, and I don't know if either of you guys saw it, but in the process of getting sacked, he got spun around, tried to throw the ball away, and he throws it right into a TCU defender's hands who is literally like eight yards behind the line of scrimmage like just kind of doing nothing ended up being a pick six the quote on the tweet was is like remember when college football people thought Brock Purdy was better than Ian Book yeah I saw that and it just made me laugh that was one of the that reminded me of the Jameis Winston kind of fumble as he was throwing or throwing it when he was like falling backwards against Oregon in the college football playoff in like 2014. I mean, that's just a bad look for everybody involved, not only for Purdy, but on that, on that team, to be honest. Yeah. And Purdy coming off a good season last year, I thought for sure, especially week one, I know Brandon and I know I was pretty high on Brock Purdy going into this year and he did not show out and he's not shown up at all the first three weeks of the season at all for Iowa state or two games, however many they've played so far. He has not shown up and he's not been the quarterback that they've expected. And I'd like to say that Notre Dame kind of rattled him going into this season, but you know, I, I'm not going to take all the credit for that. Yeah, no, they definitely, they definitely got beat down pretty bad last year in the camping world bowl, but obviously, you know, we didn't have a game this weekend. Ethan brought it up. It was a shame we were not able to play against Wake Forest, but the rest of the college football world did play. Alabama beat Missouri 38-19. You probably would have expected a lot more points from Bama, especially considering the amount of cases that Missouri had and players out. Bama will be playing against Texas A&M this week, number two versus number 13. I honestly don't think A&M really is going to stand a shot, but you want to see that game remain competitive. Thoughts on... Bama, at least this last week, and then, you know, with this, since they do have a relatively high-stakes matchup, I guess you would say at least a ranked-on-ranked matchup, what do you say just going forward about Bama? Yeah, I mean, they they had a down year, in quotes, for them last year. I think they lost two games, and I mean, some people were saying some nonsense about their, like, dynasty being over when they had their starting QB get injured and they still won 10 games. I think that's ridiculous. I think Bama is going to cruise against their opponent this week. Like you said, it's a ranked on ranked matchup. I mean, rankings this early in the season, we've mentioned in the podcast before, don't really mean that much. I think Bama cruises. I was a little bit shocked with a little bit off talk, but with how bad LSU looked. I mean, Mississippi State's not a horrible team, but I mean, given the NFL talent LSU has on their roster, I think Bama, it's kind of just like a Bama, Georgia. I mean, Auburn's pretty good too, but I think it's going to come down to Bama, Georgia, and the SEC this year. The one thing I wanted to bring up was the same issue that we saw across the board with the ACC and all the other conferences that started up with that, you know, short ramp up period. They started slow. A lot of teams started slow. 
I think the SEC is at that disadvantage or for us, the viewing audience, an advantage for having to play these ranked matchups their second week of the season. You know, teams are still teams are still fresh. We got the advantage of playing USF week two, you know, and, and look at Alabama. They're going out and playing Texas A&M week two when they should be playing what the Citadel, you know, a team like that. So I think that the SEC will be a lot more competitive this year because of just how quick they started their season. I think teams that we've seen be competitive over the last couple of years, LSU, Bama, teams like that, it's going to be a lot slower for them. I don't think they're going to be out to the 49 to seven lead in the third quarters anymore. So that's, that's my take. I think you're going to see it when the big 10 starts up too. teams are going to start off slow. Will they figure it out eventually, but I also claim that the big 10 is a lot weaker than the sec in terms of their scheduling. So, yeah. And you know, we've talked about it on this podcast and on Huskies on tap. It's going to be kind of the year of unknowns. It could be a lot like 2007 where, you know, it's literally just teams are taking themselves out of the race week in and week out. And every game means that much more. Uh, one team that we'll only talk about their game last weekend because nothing else matters going forward for them. Brian, I know you are a big Oklahoma guy. I know Ethan and I are pretty big on Oklahoma, and we know they do this once a year, but they've never done it this early. Oklahoma lost 38-35 to against Kansas State. I think they were up, what, three touchdowns pretty late, like third quarter. I think it was like 28-7 to or something. Absolutely imploded. Spencer Rattler looked like an actual human being, not a super-powered football player, which is what you're used to seeing at the Oklahoma quarterback position. But, you know, get the Heisman talk out, out of the way, all that. He is not in the same breath of air as the guys that they've had there before. And I think that, you know, the expectations were extremely high on Oklahoma going into this year. But as you see, literally every year, it's one of the lower-ranked teams in their conference that ends up doing them in. So thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, we've talked about it multiple times on this podcast. They do it every year. And normally it's during the, like, halfway, three-fourths mark of the, the season. But like you said, teams are starting off slow this year. So, I mean, it happened really early. And, I mean, Kansas State's not a horrible program. But, I mean, when you're Oklahoma, you got to take care of business. And the reason why it happens every year is because annually Oklahoma doesn't play defense. They just don't play defense. So when you week in and week out always allow the opponent to just score at will, every once in a while you're not going to be able to put up 40, 50 points and just rely on Spencer Radler and your stud QB. Oklahoma has, has had a stud QB for the last like four or five years. You're not going to score in the 50s. So, I mean, there's a reason why this happens every year. We all know it. Oklahoma doesn't play defense. And it's just kind of funny how it just happened a little bit earlier. And, I mean, I had a tweet that kind of popped off. It was about how if Notre Dame were to do something like Oklahoma does every single year, I mean, the college football media and landscape would literally never have them hear the end of it. I mean, Notre Dame hasn't lost to an unranked team since 2016. I know that's not something that's not something to like claim a national title for, but it's something to be proud of because Notre Dame doesn't lose to teams they should beat. They only lose, sometimes get embarrassed, which is an issue I understand, but they only lose to teams that are ranked or ranked higher than them. They have an issue of not coming to play in, in national televised games, I'll admit. But they always take care of business against teams that they should beat and are more athletically gifted then and that's a product of brian kelly's culture that he's implemented into this into this locker room and i just love it and i just can't stop laughing at oklahoma doing this every single year what do you guys think about it 
No, I agree with both of you. I think it's hilarious. Oklahoma just always finds a way to blow their chances. They've always seemed to be in the talk, but they've never been able to fully get in there. And I think that their schedule doesn't get any easier. I mean, they play Texas, who I hate to admit it, but I think they're actually pretty decent this year. They play them in two weeks, and then they finish with Oklahoma State. They're you know, third to last game of the season. Those are two ranked teams with a lot of unranked good teams in the Big 12. I don't think that this will be Oklahoma's first loss to an unranked team. I don't think this will be Oklahoma's one loss of the season. I think that they're going to be on the downswing this year, the product of this loss. Iowa State, they're going to be looking for a win, too. I think that that game is going to be one of the most intriguing matchups of the uh, of the college football slate this weekend. Primetime, 630 on ABC. Like, What better way for both teams that need to win to put them on a national spotlight like that? I honestly was hoping it was like 11 a.m., at Iowa State, because crazy shit always happens in that time slot at that stadium. But it is at Iowa State, though. Okay, so, so maybe, I do I do like that, Brian. To your point earlier, and it's actually pissing me off looking at the graphic. Philip Riley did commit to USC, so I hope they do bombs over fucking Baghdad on him. Wait, he, he just committed. He just committed. Wow, that sucks. Yeah. So. It happened all just like within the span of a day. So honestly, glad we didn't get that article out because now we can put an even better better article out because <laughs> he's going to a rival school and we're going to have a chance to put it all on him. But Ethan, I am glad that you brought up the Iowa State-Oklahoma matchup. I just like, my thing is, is like Iowa State just hasn't shown me anything yet. And honestly, like I thought they were going to give us more of a pop last year. And I just think Iowa State is one of those teams historically, and I know historically is thrown out the window with this year they just win ugly they never win in a convincing fashion they don't blow people out they'll win a game 17 to 15 or like some super goofy so the real key to them in that game is going to be able to keep that offense at bay because like brian said too they do have a bad defense so it could be a game where brock purdy could kind of find his way i think even though it's a little underrated, I, I'm very interested to see how they'll play, but it won't have too much of an effect on where we're at at this point. No, no, I agree 100 percent. I I like the odds for Brock Purdy coming out. Maybe, you know, any betters of, of ours, you know, take a look at that line. But I do like the chance that Brock Purdy comes out. Like I said, I think it's one of the most intriguing matchups of the weekend. Texas A&M Bama, like I said, like another good matchup as well. Uh, the slate is really good. I think this is probably the first big slate of college football and I'm excited for it regardless of Notre Dame being on a bye week or not. Yeah. And then real quick, like if you look at the matchups from this weekend, like Arkansas, they got Felipe Franks. Now they were actually performing pretty well. They were winning a half 10 to five real goofy football score, but Georgia made the switch. I believe at the half put Stetson Bennett in there at quarterback, because if you don't, if you guys don't remember they had uh, Jamie Newman from Wake Forest, the kid that everyone was salivating over that was so excited to come to Georgia that I honestly think is not that good. You went from Wake Forest to Georgia. Georgia, historically, since Matt Stafford, has not put anything worthwhile in the NFL at the quarterback position. They produce hella skilled players, a lot of people on the defensive side of the ball, but at the quarterback position, they don't they just don't produce. They'll produce running backs. Hell yeah. They're not a pass first offense. And I think truly like Brian, I know you said Georgia will have a chance. I think this is a team that is very vulnerable at the beginning of this season. And the team that they're playing this weekend in Auburn is coming off a pretty impressive win against Kentucky. I know it was close most of the game, but they pulled away late and they did have points 
pretty much taken off the board. So although Ethan did say that, you know, the Iowa State, Oklahoma could be the matchup of the week, I think it's got to be Georgia, Auburn. How do you guys kind of feel about these two teams and this matchup? Yeah, I, I don't know much about it just because, like, I, I don't really pay attention to uh, uh, Georgia or Auburn, all these SEC guys who they have returning. I just know most of these teams are kind of like a reload type of team. I mean, we see it every year. Not so much Auburn, maybe. They still got some talent. But Georgia has just been uh, manu- manufacturing guys that go to the NFL and produce, like you said, at, at wideout and in defense. But like you said, they did have Jake Fromm, but who knows if he's going to be even playable in the NFL. I lo- I think I like Georgia just because you can always count on them to have a bunch of talent. But like you said, they do kind of underperform, and it's all about QB play at the end of the day. But, I mean, we'll see what happens. I mean, every single year, I feel like there's an unknown in the SEC, an unknown team that ends up being really good. And we'll just wait for them to slug it out because, like we've said on this podcast, rankings don't really mean much. It's a ranked game, but it doesn't mean that I don't know who's going to win. We'll see them slug it out, and we'll see at the end of the year who's standing at the SEC. I think it's going to be Bama, but we'll we'll watch it play out. I personally think Auburn's going to win this game. I think Bo Nix is probably one of the best quarterbacks in the SEC. I think beating a very good Kentucky team, an underrated Kentucky team, what was it this past weekend, 29-13? I really do think Auburn's going to be that team that emerges itself into the SEC championship contention again. I, I think Georgia is not going to be as good like Brandon mentioned. I think without Jake Fromm, who was consistent in college, probably won't pan out in the NFL to, you know, my sadness. But, you know, it just seems like it's going my way with my quarterbacks lately. So we're just not going to talk about that. But I do think Auburn's going to win. Bo Nix is legit, and who knows, maybe he's the next Mitchell Trubisky for the Chicago Bears. Nah, don't don't say that. Don't bring Mitch into it. Uh, one thing I do one thing I do want to say, is, since you did bring up the Bears, is Matt Nagy. I need you to fucking find Cole Komet, bro. You cannot like. I know Brian, you don't watch a lot of NFL, but it's been pretty frustrating to not see Cole Komet get touches or be involved in the offense. I know they hit Demetrius Harris a couple times yesterday, and Jimmy Graham is looking like the old Jimmy Graham, but there's definitely a way that he can be utilized in this offense. I'm interested to see how Nick Foles will be able to utilize him. Yeah, I mean, I I agree with you. I I don't watch much of the NFL, but I think think Cole Komet's going to be a stud. I think tight end is one of the harder positions to translate to as a rookie because everybody in the NFL is just so much bigger, faster, stronger, so you got to get put on a little bit of poundage. And also, Matt Nagy has a complex offense, so he's probably, I mean, he's a very intelligent dude, obviously. But I would give him maybe a couple weeks to learn the playbook. But I do think he should get more snaps in the NFL this year. There's just a bit of a learning curve at tight end. Personally, I like the fact that he's behind a guy like Jimmy Graham. Graham's been doing pretty well with with the Bears this year, and I'm sure that the leadership that he provides is something that will benefit Cole Komet. I don't know. I mean, I obviously thought that, you know, maybe he would have a little bit more touches this season, but obviously we don't know as much, but Nagy's trying to develop him more into that role. Jimmy Graham's getting older, Harris getting older as well. So, you know, maybe it's more of a grooming situation for Cole Komet at this point, but you do hope to see him get out there more. You don't know what the situation's going to be like, but hey, the Bears are 3-0. and Cole Komet's on a team that's 3-0. and when was the last time Cole Komet lost? I would say probably Michigan. I'm glad you brought that up, though. Notre Dame does have the longest winning streak in the country right now. So I saw that after LSU's loss. So, so I thought that was an interesting stat. Um, Texas, they looked kind of ugly this weekend. Florida, they looked decent. And I think Kyle Trask really is a quality quarterback. We'll see 
how Florida can kind of hang in with the SEC. But, hey, we're part of the ACC this year, and there is a team that I talked about on this podcast last week that I don't think you guys took too serious that I think all three of us now are taking pretty seriously, and that is the Miami Hurricanes. And I'm not going to say the U is back until they play Clemson, but they look pretty damn good up to this point. I know Florida State is team 12 out of 12 or however many teams there are in the ACC. They got their coach coaching off of Zoom. They're an absolute mess right right now down there. And until Mike Norvell can kind of recycle and get his kind of guys in there, that's going to be the narrative. And that's what Florida State is going to put out on the field. Miami put up 52 on them. They won 52 to 10. They've looked pretty strong on offense. And I know, Ethan, you're pretty high on Derek King as well. But this is, you know, the ACC right now, in my eyes, is a three-team race with if you got to put a fourth in there, I would say North Carolina, but between Miami, Clemson, and Notre Dame. So, and they and Clemson gets both of them. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think they further legit or Miami further legitimized themselves because I think Pitt's probably the most underrated team in the ACC, and Pitt just barely beat Louisville, and Miami just mollywhopped Louisville. So I do think that means they're probably pretty good. I mean, transitive property stuff like. Like that, you got to take it with a little bit of grain of salt. But I do think that kind of legitimizes them. I don't think they'll beat Clemson, but I mean, I don't know. We've seen Clemson legs before. I mean, a couple. I think it might have been two years ago, maybe last year. They almost lost to Syracuse. But I mean, we've seen them legs before. And if it's against a Miami team of this talent, I do think it's possible to happen. But I'm really upset that Notre Dame, they didn't. They see didn't give Notre Dame Notre Dame Miami matchup. I mean, are you kidding me? Catholics first convicts type of traditional rivalry. I don't know how the hell you don't put that together. They had flexibility with the schedules considering of COVID. So I, I just think that's a big swing and miss for the ACC. That would have been a very fun matchup to see. First of all, can we talk about the fact that the term mollywop is completely underrated? Like whenever Brian uses that, I can't help but laugh at how funny I, it is. It's one of my favorite words. I'm not going to lie. I've used it at least two times, other other times. In the five <laughs> every days. time, dude, every time it makes me laugh. Just the way you say it. Miami, I was high on them last year. They didn't go through last year for me. This year, I think they are back. I think they're going to be a dominant force in the ACC, but I don't think they're at the same level that Notre Dame and Clemson are at. I personally agree with Brandon. I think it's a three-team race between Notre Dame, Clemson, and the third team being Miami. I think that there's a lot of teams that will be working themselves up in the ACC. Pitt, North Carolina, Louisville just lost, but they're still a team that can compete. Ultimately, I think the best two teams in this conference are Notre Dame and Clemson. Miami's working their way up to being back again, which is good to see. Miami's always been a team that, you know, the U, you know, they've always been known for that, and it's good to see them back in and ultimately making the ACC a better conference than what it has been since, you know, the last five years. Yeah, and I, you know, I've been watching the ACC games pretty closely, and I think you're pretty spot on with that. You know, North Carolina, we don't really know what we're going to get yet because they're still kind of in the process of getting Mac Brown's guys in there. They do have a quality quarterback in Sam Howell. But this past week, I mean, I watched uh, Georgia Tech look absolutely terrible. Syracuse is a team that, you know, I could care less about what they're doing. They're not going to contend for the title. They're a team that is playing like grinded out games week in and week out. They're getting better, but they're not there yet. And then too, like I saw NC State and Georgia Tech both just play 
dud. So I think like you guys have both said, like the ACC is pretty tight. It's I wouldn't say as top heavy as other conferences, but one thing that we haven't brought up yet, or maybe we just brushed over it, was the fact that Mississippi State beat LSU and that moved that loss and the Oklahoma loss moved with us from seven to five in the rankings. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's big. <clears throat> I mean, I don't know about you guys. I think it's very unlikely Notre Dame beats Clemson twice. I think I think they'll split, but I think what it comes down to is do you think both Clemson and Notre Dame can get in if they both have one loss and it's against each other? Before this upcoming week, I would have said whoever wins second probably gets in because the second game would be the ACC championship. You win that, you're the ACC champion, and you're going to get into the college football playoff. And the team that won earlier probably doesn't. But in the unlikely scenario that two ACT, ACC teams get in, Clemson and Notre Dame at one loss, they need things like last week to happen a lot. They need Oklahoma to drop another game. They need, I mean, if LSU wins out and wins the SEC, they're in. But how do you put a two-loss LSU team over a one-loss Notre Dame team and it's to Clemson? Like, those are the scenarios in the next coming months where Notre Dame needs to win. Because I also think that the ACC isn't as bad as people think. I'm really upset that Notre Dame doesn't get a chance to beat Miami, which is another quality opponent. But, I mean, they're facing Louisville, who's a fringe top 25 team. They go at North Carolina. They obviously got Clemson. Then they got Pittsburgh at Pittsburgh as well. So, I mean, I really think there is a chance – if Notre Dame wins the first game against Clemson and then loses to Clemson in the ACC title because of LSU and Oklahoma's loss, I do think there is a, a decent chance they can get in. What do you guys think? I just pulled up Miami's schedule and, and make looking at this, it does make it seem a lot easier for Notre Dame to get in with that, you know, one loss to Clemson scenario. They've got Clemson in two weeks. They've got ranked Pitt in three weeks. And then they finish out the year against Brandon's Tar Heels in North Carolina. So the path is there. Miami, I think that they are on their way to being back. I don't think that they're going to survive that schedule of Clemson, Pitt, and then finishing off with North Carolina. I think that the the path there, like I said, got a lot easier. I think that that scenario is likely. And you know, given Notre Dame doesn't lose any games that they shouldn't, will happen. I think that Notre Dame and Clemson will find their, themselves both in due to the fact that one team will win in the regular season. I don't think that the same team will win twice. I, it's Brian, you've talked about it. It's hard to beat the same team twice. I don't think it's going to happen. I think that regular season slash ACC championship will split and they'll find themselves both in the college football playoff. Yeah, I think that is actually a very good point that you brought up, Brian, especially considering what has happened last week. And that's not the only week that stuff like this is going to happen. You got to remember, it's college football. These are 18 to 22 year old kids. Notre Dame just needs to be able to control their schedule. The I'm not going to say lesser opponents because it is the ACC conference. We are in a conference this year. So we got what we got. You got to go play the teams that are on your schedule. Don't lay any eggs. Don't leave anything out there on the table. And at the very least, make sure we at least split against Clemson. And you can't ask for more. We should be up for consideration for the college football playoff. But do you guys have any other notes or tidbits that you guys want to get off for today's episode? I just want to kind of just reiterate what you said. At the end of the day, it's controlling what you can control. Split with Clemson. I mean, going 2-0 and against them is a little bit unrealistic. Split with Clemson and just at the end of the season, be among those five or six teams under consideration for the college football playoff. That's really all Notre Dame coaches and players should be thinking about right now. 
Yeah, I'll finish. I wanted to touch on something you talked about, Brandon, before we even started recording. K.J. Costello threw for over 600 yards against LSU. I wanted to touch back on that. Former Stanford quarterback, your quote in the beginning was, where was this at Stanford? I don't know, and I truly don't care where it was when he was at Stanford because it didn't happen, and I don't think it would happen against Notre Dame's defense. Uh, So that was kind of what shocked me. Laughed at your quote in the beginning, Brandon. Brian, I agree with you 100%. There's still a long way to go. If there is a better time, like we said, to have this interruption in our season, take it now, get it out of the way. You got two weeks to prepare for the rest of the season. And I think that Brian Kelly, with the leadership that he gives off and the leadership that his players have, they're going to find themselves back in a week against Florida State, back on that path to the college football playoff, back on the path to beating Clemson once, twice, however many times it takes and ultimately getting back to the top of the college football playoff. Yeah, I think the work is cut out for us. And honestly, like if Notre Dame put out like a flyer and was like, look, we have players that have COVID, they're not going to be ready for Florida State. They could pick up whoever they want off the street. We're still going to win that game. That game is not going to be close by any stretch of the imagination. Right now, it's just let's get rid of this virus. Let's earn the privilege to get back out there on that field. And then the rest will take care of itself. And like you guys said, like, Being able to at least split against Clemson will put them in that position, but we have to be able to get rid of or to get through the rest of ACC play unscathed. Potential games like you have talked about against Pitt and Louisville, Brian, where we could see that. But right now, we just got to get, you know, the quarantine, isolate and eliminate phase of the season done, get back out there on the field. And I'm confident the Irish will take care of it. But this was Irish on Tap presented to you by the On Tap Sportsnet. I'm your host, Brandon Suarez. You can follow me on Twitter at BDON300. You can follow my co-host, Brian Mishler, on Twitter at Brian Mishler. And then you can follow Ethan at Ethan underscore Wiles. All of our tweets and all of our work can be found at On Tap Irish. And go Irish.